chapter two sections four through six of the marvels of divine grace by alice lady lovett this librivox recording is in the public domain chapter two on the sublime union with god to which we are introduced through divine grace section four god in bestowing his grace upon us imparts at the same time a goodness and supernatural beauty whereby we receive the fruit of this favour and remain worthy of it he thus not only loves us in and through his son as his children but he really impresses upon us the image of his son and makes us resemble him that we may be truly his children for whom he foreknew he also predestined to be made conformable to the image of his son that he might be the firstborn amongst many brethren romans chapter eight verse twenty nine he wills that we put on his only begotten son that we receive the impress of his features upon us and that we be clothed with his divine life and this he accomplishes when he receives us into his paternal bosom and by the holy ghost gives birth to us in the waters of regeneration that which is born of the flesh is flesh said our saviour to nicodemus john chapter three verse six it must be born again of water and the holy ghost in order to become spiritual and be raised to a spiritual life accordingly st james says the father of lights from whom comes every best and perfect gift hath of his own will begotten us by the word of truth james chapter one verses seventeen and eighteen we have a nature infinitely different from the divine and as st athanasius tells us we are first created and afterwards generated of god whilst the son receives his being solely by this generation and has the same substance as the father nevertheless our relation as children of god to our heavenly father is incomparably more intimate than that of adopted children to their parent for we are generated and born of him in a similar manner to his own son since we receive the communication of his divine nature and life and are filled and animated by his spirit st peter therefore teaches blessed be the god and father of our lord jesus christ who according to his great mercy hath regenerated us unto a lively hope unto an inheritance incorruptible that cannot fade reserved in heaven for you one peter chapter one verses three and four those whom god adopts he makes new men he forms them after his own image and that of his son he seals them with his own holy spirit as the seal of their dignity and the pledge of their inheritance great is the mystery of this grace says st leo and this gift which exceeds all gifts namely that god should call man son and man should call god father by these names we feel and learn what sentiments should correspond with such sublimity 
for if among men it redounds to their glory that the splendour of ancestry should be reflected by its posterity is it not far more glorious that those born of god should exhibit the image of their father as the lord himself says let your light so shine before men that seeing your good works they may glorify your father who is in heaven again the son of god reminds us of our sublime destiny in the words be you perfect as also your heavenly father is perfect because we are children of god we must not be satisfied by leading a life of natural goodness but conscious of our high dignity we must seek to imitate our good and merciful god himself accordingly st augustine drawing a parallel between alexander the great and ourselves remarks that if the delusion he possessed that he was a descendant of the gods led him to perform great and heroic actions how much more should we who by god's grace belong in truth to a heavenly and divine race direct all our faculties to be like god to seek him and labour and suffer in his service if we are really children of god then he will indeed be with us and if god be for us who is against us who shall separate us from the love of christ shall tribulation or distress or famine or nakedness or danger or persecution or the sword but in all these things we overcome because of him that hath loved us romans chapter eight verses thirty one and thirty seven we must consider ourselves as pilgrims upon earth journeying towards our heavenly country and our life therefore should be conformable to the one to which we are destined far from attaching our hearts to the things of this world and seeking our happiness in it we should rather sigh and lament that our sojourning is prolonged and that we are not in our true home let us also as st leo bids us put off the old adam with his works and being made partakers of the generation of christ let us renounce the works of the flesh recognize your dignity and as participant of the divine nature beware of returning to your former lowliness by the sacrament of baptism you have been made a temple of the holy ghost take care not to drive away so great a guest by evil works for the price of your purchase is the blood of christ and he will judge you in justice who has redeemed you in mercy section five god who has given himself to us as a father who has adopted us as his children who has made us the heirs of his possessions distinguished us with his name honoured us with his glory and his kingdom wills also that we ask of him our daily bread but what bread is this the heavenly father can demand of his children to ask only a heavenly bread and this bread is the son of god who says of himself i am the living bread 
which laid upon the altars is daily offered to the faithful as a heavenly food the first duty of a parent is the nourishment of his children but what mortal mind can comprehend the liberality of thy love toward thy children o god o love that no mother could have imagined o more than paternal heart of my god truly we can say with thy prophet we have been nursed at the breast of kings but it was naturally becoming that god being greater than man the food prepared for his children should correspond with the greatness of their heavenly father therefore god would place no limits to his love he would pour out all the treasures of his omnipotence and give his children the most precious of these treasures for their eternal banquet which is himself for what is the good thing and what is his beautiful thing but the corn of the chosen ones and the wine which maketh virgins but if this nourishment is so precious we may judge from it the value of the life of grace which is maintained by it and the greatness of that dignity that merits it if our body receives the blood of christ is not that a sign that our soul too in regeneration is filled through grace with a divine life and possesses a divine nobility if our body is united to the substance of the body of christ is not this a pledge that by grace we have been made partakers of the divine nature oh if we had a lively faith how highly we should esteem the life of grace which is worthy of such food and with what loving desire we should approach this heavenly banquet which makes us partakers of the divine nature and fills us with divine life but our admiration for this nourishment of the children of god and for grace which is the object of it will increase when we consider in what manner it is prepared for us the entire substance of bread and the entire substance of wine are changed after consecration into the body and blood of the son of god is this not a sign that our nature in receiving this food and drink is by grace entirely transformed as the natural bread is by a miracle made a heavenly bread so grace coming to us in this sacrament converts our earthly nature into a heavenly one and without destroying its substance makes it participate in the divine nature it is true that this change is not visible to our senses but neither does transubstantiation affect the outward form of the bread and wine exteriorly the children of god are as other men subject to the same trials and diseases but as the apostle says the outward man is corrupted yet the inward man is renewed day by day they are transformed by the spirit of god until hereafter their mortal life is changed into a glorious and immortal one the body and blood of his son is yet not the greatest food which the heavenly father gives to his children in the holy sacrament the son of god gives himself directly in his humanity 
because we are yet too immature too small to be able to comprehend him in his divinity here he gives himself as it were as the milk there as the bread of eternal life for as the mother says st augustine prepares in her maternal breast as milk the bread which the infant cannot yet eat at the table of its father so that the infant receiving it becomes stronger and grow bigger so the word of god who with his father in heaven is the bread of the elect has descended to us on earth and made himself small that he may be taken as milk by the newborn children of his father the holy sacrament of the altar therefore though truly divine is only a foretaste of and a preparation for that food with which god the father will nourish us in heaven there we shall enjoy the son of god in his glory there we shall be strengthened by the power of his divine nature there we shall be nourished by the light of his glory and shall drink in the flood of his love and delight st francis of sales has explained this sublime mystery very beautifully thou alone o god he exclaims canst enable us to see and feel the happiness and joy of the human understanding when receiving in itself not the image but the real presence and essence of the essential truth and divine majesty it will see itself united for eternity to its end and object we shall then be nourished by the substance of god himself entering our souls through the medium of our understanding the tender love of god towards us is almost incredible for as an affectionate mother makes use of no foreign means to communicate her substance to her child but feeds him in it and by it so our heavenly parent does not confine himself to conveying an abstract idea of his divinity to our understanding but by an excess of love he represents himself to the mind without the assistance of any image that it may be thereby seen and understood in itself and by itself that thereby this divinity and eternal essence should become at once the object contemplated by the understanding and the medium by which it is contemplated we shall then fully enjoy the accomplishment of these promises of god behold i will bring upon her as it were a river of peace you shall be carried at the breasts and upon the knees they shall caress you as one whom the mother caresses i will comfort you this is the boundless the eternal happiness to which we aspire and of which we have received the promise and pledge in the holy eucharist the perpetual banquet of divine grace there is however one difference for the first favour though real is hidden under the veil of the sacramental species whereas in heaven god will communicate himself to us in unclouded splendour and we shall behold his majesty face to face as he is in himself we see by this explanation how the divine essence is by grace given to us 
as intimately united to our soul as the sacred body of our lord is united to our body in the holy eucharist it is in the most perfect sense the supersubstantial bread for which our saviour bids us ask it is a food because it makes us strong and great and a drink because it inebriates us with god's delights how great o god must be that dignity which thou hast granted us by the grace of sonship by which we deserve to obtain such a bread give us the grace that conscious of our high dignity we may neither ask nor desire any bread but the divine one which is thyself by which thou dost nourish us unto eternal life grant o lord let us say with saint bonaventure that we may always hunger after thee the food of angels the refreshment of holy souls our daily supersubstantial food which possesses all sweetness grace and deliciousness let my heart always hunger after thee whom the angels desire to behold let my innermost soul enjoy it and be filled with its heavenly sweetness let it continually thirst for thee o fountain of eternal light torrent of delight and abundance of the house of god section six what could be more beautiful and consoling than those words of our lord i will not now call you servants i have called you friends well might saint gregory the great exclaim oh how great is the mercy of our creator we are not his worthy servants and he calls us now his friends two things are required for perfect friendship liberty and equality and both are given to us by divine grace the apostle tells us where the spirit of the lord is there is liberty and grace raises the soul to a great degree of union with god and even to a likeness with him so that the distance between him and god is no longer so great as to make him utterly unworthy of his friendship how exquisitely is the value of a friend described in holy writ a faithful friend is a strong defence and he that hath found him hath found a treasure a faithful friend is the medicine of life and immortality ecclesiasticus chapter six verses fourteen through sixteen and where shall we find fidelity such as we find it in him who having been made man and died for us on the cross now gives himself to us and abides with us for evermore under the form of bread and wine should we not say to our hearts without a friend thou canst not well live and if jesus be not thy friend above all thou wilt be exceedingly sad and desolate love him and keep him for thy friend who when all go will not leave thee nor suffer thee to perish in the end some have said god having made all things for his own sake does he not love even his friends for this object alone true because it is thus only he could love us 
for we being finite could not be the object of infinite love god loves us on account of his infinite goodness which finds a wonderful reflex in us by grace he loves himself in us and therefore us in himself he loves us on account of his own divine nature which he has communicated to us by grace and therefore his love for us is most intimate and divine god is our friend only in order to benefit and enrich us and as he has set no bounds to his liberality towards us so we should make him a return by unbounded love and devotion what is man that thou shouldst magnify him or the son of man that thou shouldst set thy heart on him job chapter seven verse seventeen doubtless as saint bernard commenting on these words man is as vanity and as nothing but should he be absolutely nothing who is thus glorified by god courage my brethren though we be nothing in our hearts the heart of god may perhaps contain something of us o father of mercy o god of the wretched why dost thou set thy heart upon us since thou hast said where thy treasure is there also is thy heart must we not then be thy treasure if thy heart is with us how then can we be a mere nothing if we are thy treasure the mystic writer richard of st victor tells us that there are four degrees of love to the first he gives the name of the insuperable love because it can be displaced by no other to the second the name of the inseparable love because it is so firmly impressed on the memory that it cannot be effaced to the third he gives that of the exclusive love because it will endure no rival and the fourth he calls the insatiable love because it can never be satisfied that man should be irresistibly drawn towards god as to the highest good and beauty and the source of all love and happiness should surprise no one but that god should be attracted to man can only be accounted for by the fact that in implanting divine grace in his soul god has given him a supernatural beauty which reflects his own nature and divinity and makes him worthy of his love it was the love of man a truly insuperable one which caused him to descend from the highest heavens to the bosom of the humble virgin so that as saint basil says he who subdues all is himself vanquished by love of man therefore the divine spouse of the canticles calls his beloved the soul adorned with grace terrible and compares her to an army set in battle array and says that she has wounded him with one of her eyes and this love of our god for us is likewise one that inseparably attaches him to us for has he not told us can a woman forget her infant so as not to have pity on the son of her womb and if she should yet will not i forget thee 
i have graven thee on my hands isaiah chapter 49 verse 15 as long as we are in a state of grace so long will god abide in us and with us for his delight is to be with the children of men god loves us all with an absolutely exclusive love as if each one of us was the only object of it thus in the canticle of canticles he calls all his friends one dove one spouse one beautiful one for though there are many yet they all shine with the same light of grace all partake of the same divine nature and all enjoy the same love whole and entire since this love is capable of embracing one as well as many and many as well as one finally the love of god for a soul in a state of grace is truly an insatiable one he would fain take entire possession of it he says of himself that he is a jealous god he spoke of all the souls of men from the cross when he said i thirst for even then he had not satiated his love for us had it been necessary he would gladly have suffered yet more for our salvation end of chapter two section six